Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. This week, we're doing something that I think you'll remember us doing in episode 10. We took five of your burning questions, burning business questions, and I did my best to answer them based on experience, based on having worked with clients, based on advice that I myself have been given and we sure hope that was helpful. So our goal is to try and do that same thing every 10 episodes. And today brings us to episode number 20, which before we go on um, and uh, answer those questions, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, Elizabeth Windham, our podcast managing producer extraordinaire is sitting across from me and she did the happy dance. You can't see it, but I can see it. And this was after I screamed in her ear just before we started trying to test the mic and wake up. So um, anyway, a little bit of behind the scenes here at, at the, the studio. Anyway, we want to thank you. Thank you for listening to Liberty Sessions for these past 20 weeks. Uh, we've been absolutely blown away by your generous comments, uh, your reviews. Please keep them coming in iTunes. We need those reviews. You know, this podcast was created because we wanted to hear from you. We wanted to hear from the women who were doing amazing things, merging their passions with their work. And we want to know how you did it and how other women have done it. And in some ways we made this podcast to satisfy our own curiosity. And we assume there were lots of you out there who were curious too, but we had no idea how many you guys have been showing up to listen. And for that, we are eternally grateful. It's because of you that we are going to continue to bring these stories of women who are pursuing their entrepreneurial story 
so that you guys can launch and grow your own. And so we need you to just keep sharing with friends. We need you to leave a review. Um, we need your feedback. We want to know what you guys think. And as we start to seek out sponsors, they want to know that you guys are listening in and that you care about these stories. So please, please let us hear back from you. All right, now let's move on to the task at hand. So here are the burning questions we heard from you guys this week. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, if you guys have a question, go ahead and email us at info at libertyforher.com. And in episode 30, we'll go ahead and take those questions. You can also leave a question in our Instagram at libertyforher, and we'll be compiling questions uh, from there as well. All right. Question number one, I am desperately trying to be efficient with my days, but between email and menial tasks, I feel like my day gets lost and nothing of substance gets done. I need some time management tips. Please help. All right. This one, we can all benefit from this, myself included. And sometimes even those of us who have spent time being organized and we know how efficient we can be when we kind of get our stuff together, forget, and we let all kinds of crazy things get in the way and we need to come back to it. So this is a good one for, for everyone. So I'm going to try and break this up into five uh, sections. Here's something that really worked well for me. I would say when I was the most efficient, this was something that I relied on. I f- it came from uh, the book, The One Thing. The first thing you need to do is identify each day what is the one thing that you need to do to move the needle for your business. And a hint as to what that thing might be. It's something that allows you to work on the business, not in the business. This is something you'll hear me say a lot. So it's something that is really focused on the growth, um, the vision of the business. Are we meeting our mission? It's really about what you set out to do in the first place. It's none of the things to do. It's none of the tasks. And I, when I did this, I would give myself a a minimum of a two hour window to focus on this thing. So it could be something like, uh, an editorial calendar for all of our blog posts, um, for all of your social media. It's things that are like where you're being very focused on, um, kind of the bigger picture and and you could kind of write it all up and then hand it off to somebody and they could be working in Planoly or something like that to actually make it happen. But it's it's really taking a chunk of time to do that, that one thing. The second thing you do is you brain dump. You literally make a list of every single thing that's swimming in your head. You write it all down as a list. Uh, you don't need to figure out when these are going to get done. You just need to get it out of your head so you can make space to think uh, clearly and focus. The third thing is you take that brain dump list and you prioritize them. Most of us write down a list of things to do and then we just go in order of what we wrote and we try and cross it off, right? Okay, I got to go to the grocery store. I need to go to the dry cleaner. I need to pick up vacuum bags. I need to clean the such and such. I need to get dog food. I need to whatever. And you're not prioritizing that list. You're just doing them as you've listed them. In this um, in this scenario, you actually need to prioritize the brain dump list. Not everything is a must do. So assign everything in order of importance. Um, so literally just one, two, three, go down and give everything a number. And then you take the top three to five items that you just prioritized 
and you shift them into a day. So let's just say, for example, on Monday, I identified what my one thing was, and then I have three to five things from my brain dump list that are priorities that are going to get accomplished that day underneath my one thing. So two hours minimum for the one thing, and then the three through five items, priority items. Then the second day, Tuesday, you're going to have, again, the one thing that you need to do, and then another three to five items. Now, here's what usually happens. The three to five items from the day before don't always get done, so you just shift whatever didn't get done to the following day, and you just keep going through your list that way. I promise you, after one week of doing that, you'll be amazed on the difference you've made in getting that menial tasks accomplished, but also in really working on the bigger picture of the business and really getting things of substance accomplished. So give that a try. I think what we'll do is I actually created a worksheet for myself and um, I think we'll try and get that included in the show notes so it'll be a downloadable. So we'll make that available to all of you guys. The author of the book is Gary W. Keller and he is... um, a real estate guy from Keller Williams is, is where he comes from. And then the co-author is Jay Papasan. So check those guys out. Again, it's the one thing. Okay, question number two. I am a solopreneur and in desperate need of administrative help, but I can't afford a full or even part-time employee. Any ideas? All right, this is a little bit of a long answer. Hang in there with me. I wanted to break this up into two different parts. Um and the first, the first one is, are you the person that, first of all, you need to identify, do you actually need to hire somebody? Um, and when do you need to hire them? And so let's, let's take sort of a look at that first one. Sometimes we're the problem, right? Sometimes we need to get out of our own way. So first figure out where you need help. Again, make a list of all the things you do in a given day or week. Identify how many of those tasks are repeatable and can be automated. So for example, if you respond to most of your emails in one of four ways, yes, maybe, not now, or never, um, that's usually me. It's, It's one of those four things. Then create four emails, template emails, that you can simply change the name and hit send. If you're a service that bills based on hourly rate, Um, and you find yourself needing hours at the end of the week or the end of the month to tally and create invoices, then try and find an automated system, an app perhaps, that allows you to input billable hours as you go and then tallies and sends those invoices at the push of a button. We use one internally called Zoho, and it will do that for you. I'm terrible at using the app, so I end up having to create the time to tally everything at the end of the month. But if you could use the app, if you did, if you trained yourself to use the app, you literally hit the start button, the end button. It takes all those billable hours and at the end of the month, it'll generate an invoice for you to send out to your client. And assuming that client comes back for another month and another month, then you just, um, you've already created them, you know, you have a file for them and now you're just adding the new hours. So try and identify what are the things that are repeatable tasks that can be automated and try and identify sources that can help you with those. Again, apps, third-party tools and resources. 
automating can save you hours of the brain drain, which is also taxing on your time because you're just sitting there thinking and trying to be critical and trying to kind of put your best work forward. Once you've thought of it, and you really need to think of this when you're doing this solopreneur thing in particular, once you've spent the time thinking about something, you need to amortize all that creative thinking and brain power. So if you end up figuring out what your solution is or what your answer is, then figure out a way to automate that and um, be more efficient and effective with your time. The other thing that will come in handy is let's say you finally find some money and you're ready to hire. Now, instead of hiring somebody to help you put those things into place, you have them in place and that person is going to be extremely, extremely efficient with their time, with your time, and they can actually work for fewer hours and you can get a lot more done. So it ends up being a way to organize your business and systematize everything within your business. Now, this is the the second part. Sometimes you identify that you're actually not the gal for the job. Let's say you're working on things that take time away from the revenue generating part of the business and you need to get out of your own way. If you're selling a product and you don't have time to sell the product because you're too busy taking pictures to post on Instagram or writing a press release to send to a local publication and influencers, by the way, you have no connections to influencers and no idea how to write a release, then wouldn't it make more sense for you to be selling, making more money, saving a little bit, just a little tiny nugget, going out and hiring a one-time publicist, not a PR firm, just a one-time publicist that can write a release for you that is a release that will get seen and make meaningful connections to influencers. So sometimes it's just shifting and going with the imbalance for a little bit so that you can generate the revenue that's needed to do the things you need to do, which means kind of blocking for that, saying, okay, January and February, I'm just going to focus on generating revenue. And in March, I'm going to hire that person for 10 hours max. I'm going to save for that and I'm going to hire for that. And now you've created a system within the business where you can hire to something that's very specific and you're not just saying, oh my gosh, I need somebody when things are out of control and you're, you know, angry and, and, and grumpy. Um, you're hiring exactly what you need and that person's bringing their expertise to your business. And so the money you're paying is, um, is an investment that's well worth it. Now, let's say it's the salesperson that you need. You're not good at sales. You've identified that you're great at creating the product or the service, but you suck at sales and no problem. I have sucked at sales too. It's, it's, it's a thing. Um, so what you need to do is think of creative ways to bring your, your team members on. Perhaps it's a 100% commission structure that incentivizes them with a really generous cut. Now, this means you can't say no money up front and I'm only going to give you 10% because there's what's the incentive for them? You really need to be generous with how you uh, kind of grow that team and grow that opportunity to bring on uh, employees. So come up with what a generous cut is. And then what you can do is you can start to back away from that cut and trade with a little bit less of a cut and a little bit more of perhaps a flat rate. Um, Now, if it's administrative that you identify, that's really what you need, and that's not going to come from any, you know, revenue generating source, then think of what resources you have at your disposal. Maybe it's experience, you know, maybe you need to identify people that love what you do and want to learn about your industry 
and you can exchange your knowledge for their time. For example, your business, let's say, is landscape design, and you put out an ad in Craigslist or whatever for people who want to learn the industry, and you offer up a three-month training program. Now, this is a little bit different than an intern who comes in is going to do a little bit of a lot. This is much more specific. This is somebody who wants to learn the business, and you're going to you're going to be teaching them. You're going to have to set aside time to teach them, but that's what you have. You've got experience and you've got time. It's money that you don't have. So you're willing to trade that in for their time um, as they're learning to help you. And now you have three months of free help. Now, here's the bonus of that. Let's say at the end of the program, here you've hired somebody, you can hire somebody that you ha- you've actually trained and vetted. That person has actually gone through your program, if you will, and you can identify if they're exactly the person that you would want to hire. And you've bought yourself three months to ostensibly make some extra money so that you can hire them. So that would be awesome. That's best case scenario there. Now, maybe you don't have any expertise. Maybe you have something like real estate. You've got a garage that's that you've converted into a workspace. And so you say, look, I've got some co-working space. How about you work for me for 10 hours a week and the other 30 hours I'll swap you. You get the space to work on your own venture. And so you're again taking a resource that you have and you're bartering it for something else. So first identify the problem and automate that problem. Second, identify what you're good at, and you do just what's best for the company, nothing else. Invest in people who can do what's best for your company and what they're good at. Um, And then lastly, figure out what resources you have to barter with. So those are the three tips on hiring and not having money to hire. I hope that's helpful. Okay, question number three. I'm feeling burnt out and discouraged. Just when I think I've got a fresh idea, I see someone else doing it. I want to be realistic about the viability of my business given the amount of competition that's out there. Okay. I have yet to meet somebody that says, I have a brilliant idea and nobody's done it or a version of it. And let me tell you, I actually think it's getting harder because we are all seeing the same things. What's happened with social media, what's happened with the ability to shrink the world and how much we see, because everything's so shareable, is that we're not even sure where the ideas are coming from. It's almost like we're sharing the same, um, uh, it's like idea capital. We're We're all feeding off of the same information, the same visuals, the same color schemes. I mean, you can't look at Instagram and not wonder if pink has something to do with, like, is it an Instagram color? Is it the millennial color? What is it about this pink? There are things that we're seeing um, collectively that are inspiring us to think a certain way, to act a certain way, to respond to, to certain things. So that is going to continue to be the case. And in addition to that, burnout is just part of the entrepreneurial life cycle. It's you're kind of in your head, you're in the clouds, you're dreaming up solutions, and then when your feet hit the ground, the barriers to entry come pouring in. And it can be very much um, sort of a, a space in time where you just need to allow yourself to, to be sad or to get a little depressed, let it happen, let yourself go through that process, and then pick yourself back up. And here's how I I would recommend you do that. So 
everywhere you go, someone is doing something that you just thought of. Right? I really don't know if there's a single fresh thought out there. Um, but one piece of advice that I want you to remember when you're in that kind of zone is to stop identifying solutions. Like whenever you hear people come up with ideas, they're coming up with solutions to things. I want you to start identifying and finding problems, hanging out with people who have these problems, asking people about the problems with the supposed solutions that are available to them. That could be through an app. It could be through a retail experience. It could be at a restaurant. It could be with getting a reservation to a restaurant, whatever it is. Listen to what troubles people. What are the pain points? For example, if you had an idea for manufacturing athletic apparel, you would start to notice the problem with athletic apparel might be limited sizing, the effects of manufacturing spandex on the environment, the price point of workout wear. Um, and now you're able to start to say, okay, what's my differentiator? Which one of these things do I really care about? Saying that I'm going to enter the athletic apparel market is 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 nothing really of note, right? You really have to start to say and get really niche. And we're always afraid to get niche. We're afraid the more niche we get, the more we cut people out, the more we say, no, you're not my audience. But in fact, what we do is we make room for our audience. Um, I think one brand that does this really, really well um, is Bando. They sell a cross section of paper and personal accessories, just like a million other brands out there. But no one can compare to their very unique and identifiable personality. You guys can check them out. It's shopbando.com. And I think their hashtag, or excuse me, their handles are also shopbando, B-A-N-D-O. Um, so my guess is that they observed a problem. There were too many serious brands out there or too many brands taking themselves seriously and that they probably thought, you know what, life's already kind of heavy and serious. Like, why don't we try and lighten things up and add some really colorful um, products to the market, stand out by saying things that are um, a little bit uh, out there, a little bit um, unique to what everybody else is saying, whether it's slightly snarky or, um, or, or just even mocking uh, I think they what they did was they said, hey, guys, look at us in a way that other people uh, could identify the brand. Now, I have a teenage daughter, and Bando is a huge, that's a huge um, uh, market for, for, for them, for, for these teen girls. And when they have something that's from Bando, they sort of belong to this Bando club. They're part of this, like, fiercely feminist, fun, you know, um, a community that is saying, hey, here I am, and I'm kind of loud and proud. And they've done this through stationery and some pins and a few outrageous, you know, the watermelon towel or whatever it is they have, inflatable swim products. I mean, it, it, the products are products that we've seen a million times over. So they identified the problem of brands that took themselves too seriously and they responded to that, and as a result, they're um, they're a standout, and they they are remarkably different than most of what's out there in the in the uh, market. So again, go ahead and start looking at problems instead of solutions, and then respond to that. I think that'll be helpful for you. Okay. Question number four: I'm interested in putting together a digital training program for creatives 
but I had no idea how expensive creating the video for the training was. Is there a cheaper way to create an online class that avoids the use of video? So here's my advice. Uh, First of all, I hear you. The cost of video is no joke, especially for a small business, but honestly, it can make all the difference in the world. So I wouldn't cheapen the brand because of some cash flow issues. Instead, let's kind of flip this around a little bit. Um, Let's make sure you have an audience that's that wants this product. And let's do that by pre-selling. So for example, let's say your virtual class is a small business DIY accounting course. And if it is, please tell me. I know some takers. Um, So I would come up with the curriculum on paper, create your promotional collateral materials. So by that, I mean like a virtual postcard or a brochure and price the class for the least amount of students you think will sign up. So let's say the video, you know your video costs are hovering around $2,500. You have a friend who can make it and edit it for you for $2,500. And you think you can get minimum, very conservative, 10 people to sign up for the class. So that means you'd need to charge each person $250. If you think that that's a value that you can, with a straight face, say, hey, one of you 10 people, $250 is a great price for my DIY accounting classes. It's going to save you a ton of money in the long run. If you're a solopreneur, you don't even have to have a bookkeeper. I'm going to show you how to all do that or how to do all that and how to automate that. So you look at yourself in the mirror. You say, that's a fair price. I can do that. I can find 10 people. Now, you've put out the brochure. People have signed up in advance. Let's say you get all 10 or you get 11. You've got a bonus person in there. Now you've done the math and you know that you can pre-sell those tickets in your class for, let's say, January. Then you make and pay for the video in February and the class is offered in March. Okay? So now you say, but Netta, (laughs) what kind of business is that? I've just broken even. Well, let's say you offer the class multiple times. We talked earlier about using that brain power and amortizing it. Here's another opportunity for that. So if you can offer that class four times a year with no additional video footage or editing, right? Same cost. The value of the content is the same. It's not timely. It's not trendy. It's something that has staying power through the course of a year or a quarter or six months or whatever. And you offer it four times. Each time you get 10 people for that new class, right? You go out and you seek another 10 people, whether it's because you're doing Facebook ads or you're speaking at different seminars and you're telling people that they can sign up for your class. You get the 10 people, you push out the class that you've already paid for. You do this an additional three times. Like we said, it's going to be four in total. And now those subsequent classes are bringing you $7,500 and you haven't done anything um, extra. So my advice for putting together a digital training program is yes, use video. I think it's a really good idea. And I think there's some really cool things you can do with stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor, which is to put it out there to pre-sell on YouTube or even on your social media channels. And we know how important video is and the value of it in terms of more people are viewing it than viewing still photos. So there's things you can do with that video that you can't do from a sales point of view. And then, like I said, amortize the work that you've done and continue to sell those classes ongoing. All right. Last question. 
I've just started working with a dear friend and we are, per- we are the perfect match given our experience and strengths. But my husband keeps insisting that we shouldn't go any further without a partnership agreement. My problem is I feel like any conversation of the sort will be taken as a lack of trust and might put a damper on things. If we are totally on the same page, can we just move forward without a formal contract? All right. Let me first say I've been a part of many, many, many business divorces, and they're really, really hard, and they usually start out from friendships. Um, those, that's, those are the ones that are the hardest. So if you're worried about putting a damper on things now when you're in the honeymoon phase, just imagine what postponing until things get even harder um, and bigger. Just imagine the damper that will be put on things later. So I would really, really kind of take a second look at what you're saying when you're saying no. If you're going into business with somebody, you shouldn't be concerned about having a hard conversation and the effects of that hard conversation. If you're going into business with somebody, you better be going into business with somebody that knows how to have hard conversations and you better be willing to have those hard conversations. So having said that, I'm not talking about putting together a big fat legal document with lots of legal fees and hiring an attorney. It's really not necessary unless you have investors or someone has poured more capital into the partnership than the other person. So if you're both bringing equal amounts of money, let's just say less than 50,000 and equal amounts of sweat equity into the partnership, then what's critical are just these two documents. And you can just make them in your word, um, in, in a word document. It's not a huge deal. Um, you first need to identify what is each person going to be doing on a weekly, monthly basis and agree to those roles and responsibilities by each of you signing the documents. So literally sitting down and saying, okay, what is the person bringing to the table? What are their duties? Who do they know? So when I say resources, I don't just mean the money. You know, who do they know? Do they have an office we can work in? Do they, um, do they know somebody who's going to be the first client? Like just everything that each person is bringing to the table. And make sure as you look at those that they feel equitable and fair. And we're not seven-year-olds, so fair doesn't mean that it's absolutely equal. Sometimes somebody's bringing clients, but the other person's bringing a little bit of know-how. So it, uh, it make sure it's a wash and you're both comfortable with what that actually is. Sign that piece of paper. Now, the second list is a list of expectations on the business side, meaning what do we expect of this third thing, of this child that we've created? And this really comes in handy when you're ready to pivot or you don't agree on something or one person wants out of the company or you're choosing to sell the company. So list first why you're, why you're going into business together. Perhaps it's just to make money, like many businesses. Or maybe um, it's to raise awareness about, you know, the Native American tribes uh, uh, of North America. I have no idea. What is the bottom line for you both? And what is it that you're, what you're, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Again, this could be a nonprofit. This could be maybe you're filming a documentary and the goal is to get this into film festivals. It's not about the money. Really identify what is the goal of this venture. Now, then you want to look at a few different things that you can't imagine will happen, but you need to prepare for. So agree on an exit strategy. One person may be going into business because they want to sell it in five years. And they just, the exit strategies, we're going to sell it and we're going to make money. 
identify when that time to sell should come or when it will come. Is it based on time in the market? So five years, or is it based on amount of money you want to reach? Maybe at three years, you'll reach the million dollar in revenue mark, and that's exactly when you want to sell. Um, so what are the benchmarks? Also decide if one person wants out, because life happens, right? So you guys are in a perfect situation now, and everything's going well, but one person finds out she's pregnant with triplets, and there is no way that she can maintain the workload that you guys have set out to each do when those three babies come. So come up with, if somebody needs to get out, what will it take for them to get out? Will they, will the other person buy them out? What is the price on that buyout? And that can be determined by a formula. The price of the buyout is X amount of, you know, clients or product or inventory by the opportunity for that inventory or whatever to be sold. You can come up with a, a formula and then it's, you know, 10% of that, 50% of that, what, whatever. You guys come up with what you need, but have something that allows the other person to have that flexibility if they need to leave, to leave. I'll tell you what happens is people end up being afraid to say that it's time for them to go and then they lose interest. And so they go six months in the company longer than they should have. And the other person's wondering why they lost that love and feeling. And now the relationship is at stake and all hell breaks loose. If you have this out, then you can say, hey, remember when we had that conversation? Guess what? I need to exercise that. You can also agree to revisit this document every year or every six months or whatever. If your business is growing really, really fast you may want to agree to revisit it on a more regular basis. I, not too regular, that that you need to be working on your business and stop working on the terms of this agreement. Um, but I would say annually is a great idea. And that way you can say, okay, where have we pivoted for the sake of business and how is that adjusting this business agreement? Did we go in, we thought we were going to be consultants and now at the end of the day we're actually you know, putting events together? How is that? Uh, how has that affected this business agreement, and how do we want to restructure it? Um, and then once a year, schedule a time. Maybe it's every January where you sit down, you roll up your sleeves, you look at this, and you make you create new terms based on what the company's needs and your personal needs are, and you come to a place where you can each agree on them. It also allows you to be flexible within the company. Again, you're not beholden to the partnership agreement. The company has some opportunity to kind of move about the cabin, if you will. Um, so that's my advice on the partnerships. So there we have it. Five questions and five answers. How do you like that? Um, so like I said, please feel free to leave questions at info at libertyforher.com or on our Instagram, and we'll take them as they come. In the meantime, um, I hope these have been helpful to those five people that asked them and to the rest of you. And please, please, please leave your reviews um, on iTunes. We really want to hear from you guys. And feel free to tell us what you want to hear. We just gave you our uh, email. Feel free to say, hey, we'd love more of this or this, or we really want to you know, learn from a person who's done this. We've got so many women um, who want to talk to you and want to do these interviews, and we want to make sure we're getting the ones that you want to hear the most. Until then, Liberty listeners, we out. Talk to you later. 
Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.